We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. It's a takeover. My name is Dr. Yvette Pekis, and there will not be a Julie or a Torin today. So have some grace with us because this is actually the first Crazy and the King takeover. So if that's not crazy, I don't know what is. We have Ethan Stone on the line and we have Dr. Helen Dowdell. We only have her for a few minutes. So we're going to spend a few minutes talking about her greatness and her area of genius. And so without further ado, let's introduce ourselves. Dr. Dowdell, will you introduce yourself, please? Yes, thank you for having me, Dr. Yvette Pegues. I'm so happy to join you and Ethan today. Um, my name is Helen Dowdell, and I am the president of Mobility Unlimited Technology Worldwide, uh, inventor and founder of Wildestrian. What our organization does is pretty simple, but it's complex, right? So each year in the United States, about 5,000 pedestrians in and out of wheelchairs are killed. Another 76,000 are injured in crashes on the public roads, according to the government data. Pretty appalling, right? It is. I know. <laughs> but from this data, they estimate about 528 pedestrians using wheelchairs, or what we call wheeldestrians, were killed in traffic collisions between 2006 and 2012. So at that rate, that's about 39% higher than that for other pedestrians. Um, we can talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes and what solutions that we have pulled together in order to make it a safe place for everyone. Thank you for those stats. And I know you've worked really hard at getting those numbers and they are absolutely appalling. I'd love to hear more about that. Ethan, if you'll just introduce yourselves for us, please. Yes, thank you for uh, having me on the show. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Um, again, my name is Ethan Stone. I am the general manager of Mobility Works in uh, Hawthorne, California. Uh, store newly opened in February of this year, actually, right on Valentine's Day, ironically. So uh, we are the nation's leading wheelchair accessible uh, vehicle dealer. We sell, service, and rent these vehicles, helping individuals with disabilities. I had the honor to uh, be asked to open this store uh, when it newly opened because we had no geographical footprint in this area. I was recently the general manager in our Pasadena store, and they reached out to me to uh, open this store as it came open. So I'm excited for the opportunity to serve the community, and it, it's just an amazing experience. I've been with the company almost seven years now. Uh, started wow. out as a salesperson and worked my way up to a general manager position. All by the grace congratulations. of God. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, congratulations. And, and I want to circle back just a little bit, just in case you haven't noticed, the topic for National Disability Employment Awareness Month, which is recognized in October, and we are also recognizing it on this 
session. So this takeover is going to focus on the largest people group in the world, and it's the largest minority group. And because it's National Disability Employment Awareness Month, we wanted to just not focus on it, but speak to it from a position where you may not have heard some of the things we're going to talk about. So thank you both for introducing yourselves. I will briefly tell you a little bit about me. I'm Dr. Yvette Pegues, and I am the founder and chief diversity officer for Your Invisible Disability Group. It was created to educate, to um, advocate, and to empower individuals with disabilities so that they can be included in the marketplace, the workplace, and education. Now, you know, it wasn't an easy task. It wasn't something that I had planned. It was something that became my life's work after suffering a traumatic brain and spinal cord injury. And I've had the awesome pleasure to work with both of these professionals within some of the work that I'm doing around the world. So I'm really excited about having this. And in addition to having them on this call, they will be in the disability issue of Black Family Magazine, which is opening up October 20th. So we're so excited to be able to feature them. So whatever you don't hear here, you'll be able to read about and we'll make sure you have access. So um, if the two of you don't mind, we've done a little bit about the articles that we have discussed. I think I will just say as a disability and inclusion officer that I recently ran across a Harvard Business Review article that states even the most aggressive companies with DEI incentives, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion, only 4% of them include disability in their diversity work. So that means we're talking about diversity, but we're not talking about disability. And we all know, if you think about it, that there really is no diversity if everyone is not included, which is, uh, in this case, individuals with disabilities, both visible and invisible. So that is the article that I wanted to share with everyone. It is uh, an HBR article, so you can look up Harvard Business Review and see a little bit more about what they've talked about. Ethan, did you want to share an article about the work that you're doing at Mobility Works? Uh, yes, I actually found one that was connected to an issue with uh, transportation as it comes to individuals with disabilities. Uh, it was from Learning Disability Today. It, it led off by a story of a recent situation where a woman flew into uh, an, an airport in Gatwick and she had made arrangements two months in advance so that she could have the assistance she needed to uh, get off of the plane when it landed. Uh, she was paralyzed from the neck down. She was unable to use her arms or legs. So she made it clear that she needed that assistance. Upon landing, she was stranded on the plane for an hour and 35 minutes with nobody available to uh, come to her assistance. And it, it just, it, it rings loudly across the nation right now uh, that this article uh, brought that up. So it, it, it really hit home for me in terms of what I do now, because I, I strive to really help, you know, individuals with their uh, transportation challenges, whatever it may be in the little bit that I'm able to do. So uh, that, that really spoke to me. Thank you for sharing that. You do great things at Mobility Works. My very first accessible vehicle 
was purchased at Mobility Works, but because I live in Atlanta, it wasn't purchased in California. <laughs> but transportation is end to end. It's from getting from the upstairs to the downstairs, getting from your garage to your vehicle. It also includes public transportation and air travel. And one of the big three, as you mentioned, Ethan, is transportation, medical, and work. So as we talk about Disability Inclusion Awareness Month in the workplace and the work that we do, which may not look like work that you've seen, um, I think that's so important. And thank you for bringing that up. So we're going to take a pause right now for a uh, break and thanking those who are supporting this podcast. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. Okay. Welcome back. We've missed you, and we have so much more to share with you. Dr. Dowdell, will you take the lead in telling us a little bit about how you even began this journey? Thank you for asking me that. That's a a great question. So um, several years ago, I was working in the legal field, and right around the corner from my office, a young man was struck in the middle of a crosswalk by a city dump truck driver. Um, that young man, not once he was struck, the driver was unaware that someone was pinned underneath his vehicle. I felt that was a very uh, horrific way to uh, transition, and I could not stop thinking about it. To the extent I immediately went into solution mode, and I believe it was divinity. God gave me an idea, and I thought I would share it with the city that I was in at the time. And uh, one thing led to another, and we ended up developing some technology that could assist individuals who have use of mobility aids in order to travel, and not just to hospital appointments or, you know, to um, something required, but something that was needed in the infrastructure so so someone can pursue what I call life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But in order for that to occur, we need equity. And before we have equity, we need accountability. And that accountability will allow people to know, hey, listen, This is what we've done in the infrastructure. Science and technology and medicine have far outpaced our infrastructure, and that's okay. But what can we do right now to make a change, make a difference, and to reduce these fatalities and alleviate them completely? So how does that look? Tell us what this technology looks like and what it changes. So the technology are signalized intersections uh, that integrate the international symbol for uh, accessibility. Um, uh, One of the things that I've done in research and development, we utilize symbols. Symbols are synonymous with a lot of different things in our society. They tell us when to stop. They tell us when to go. So recognizing that there is a symbol 
that represents a population of individuals that are going to continue to grow. Four out of six people will develop some sort of disability over the course of their lifetime. And we also know the population of independent travelers with visual impairments who cross the streets now include people with additional considerations, such as the elderly population with additional uh, uh considerations like children and people with cognitive and mobility and hearing disabilities to visual impairment. So that requires an adaptation um, to uh, increase the technology and street crossing techniques. And how do you do that? Equity. So if you have a signal for someone who is standing and walking, you need one for someone who is synonymous with the disability community or the International Symbol for Accessibility. And those studies are from the Journal of Visual Impairments and, and Blindness. So go ahead. So first of all, you're changing crossing, like wildestrian as you call it, like history. Am I hearing right that you're going to change the crossing signals as we have known it for at least 100 years? <laughs> you know, the way you say it is fascinating, but yes, but we took this on one intersection at a time, you know, originally. Um, but this is something that is life-changing. It's gonna, going to be life-changing for a lot of people. You know, I founded this company with my father who was a veteran. He's uh, disabled. He recently transitioned uh, and it wasn't related to a crosswalk accident. Um, but however, he recently transitioned. And one of the things that he would say all the time is accessibility is a human right. So when you approach a crosswalk or any access point, not just to doctor's appointments uh, or to the ne medical necessities or to uh, a court, but you deserve, and it is our duty to make sure that everyone is included. Not only does our technology protect uh, wheelchair users or what we've deemed as wildestrians, but we also protect the blind community. Um, it's an opportunity that everyone can have to be acknowledged and to take up space and be present. Um, right now, we live in a society that is kind of taking that population. People haven't seen them. I've, I work with a lot of different municipalities and cities and mayors and <laughs> all sorts of officials, and they're, they're actually doing a great job. But when we have a situation that has occurred in our history, such as this, where we've kind of fragmented this population that belongs in the environment, that belongs in society, that are paying full price for a fraction of what they receive, um, then we have to address it. And I always say we don't have a workforce issue. We have an access issue. So we have a lot of people who are employable, that need access. So just imagine if we had accessible places, and I have a, a lot of great companies, one in particular I won't name right now that I'm going to speak to in a, a couple of months when I return back from South Africa. And they're working on changing their workplace. And that's a real solution and it's a real answer for it. Wow. We won't keep you since we know that you will be leaving the country. But I just want a little bit of clarity 
around the actual change. And correct me if I'm speaking out of turn, but am I understanding that not only will there be the universal sign for individuals with disabilities, but there'll also be extra time for someone like me in a wheelchair to get from one side of the street to the other? Absolutely. So we work with each individual municipality and also it's a lot of uh, once we do an assessment of an area, then we make a determination how much time a lot of people associate someone using a wheelchair or a mobility aid with diminished capacity, and that's not really the case. Uh, They don't coincide. They don't go hand in hand. So the idea is take an assessment of any individual area and then determine if they if someone needs additional time. A lot of times in our studies, believe it or not, we haven't had much of a time issue with our independent travelers, especially those who are pretty experienced. Um, But there have been cases where people have needed additional time. And in those cases, we do integrate with the time and cycle and make those recommendations to create those changes. Okay, so is this a separate button that I push as a wildestrian when I'm crossing a major intersection? Uh, without going too much into design frame, uh, it, it won't be a, a, a separate button per se. It'll be integrated into the uh, existing uh, accessible push button system. My <laughs> mind is blown. And Ethan, I see your excitement and amazement. I, I, I'm going to just leave a little room for you to ask a question, if you will. There, there's so it, it's just amazing what what you've come up with, the, the ideas that you have, the insight, because uh, I think about the, the clients that I serve, that I have the honor to serve in, um, all of the, you know, frustrations and concerns that they share with me. And, you know, the fact that you're bringing it up about uh, something is crossing the street. Not many people think of that, but you made a comment in a previous conversation that if somebody's pulling up to a crosswalk, and they can't see the individual over their dashboard, that signal would designate that there's somebody um, with, you know, a disability that may be crossing the street. So to be alert. And, and I, I think that's huge. And I think it speaks volumes to, uh, like you said, just a fraction of the, the concerns that are happening worldwide. So I commend you and honor you for the work you're doing. Um, I don't necessarily have a question like Dr. Yvette said. My mind is just blown. I'm, I'm just like, I just, I just want to see what's coming. I, I, I personally want to see the look on people's face when they see you walk through the door about the changes you're making. I, I just had to throw that in. So. <laughs> it's been uh, pretty uh, interesting, you know, and I always start conversations with some neutralizing statements because a lot of times in our infrastructure, our engineers, they're trained a certain way. And honestly, they're doing the best they can. Like I, I always come in and say things that neutralize everybody so that we won't have a lot of static. You know, we're not coming into the existing infrastructure like a Tasmanian devil with the TNT <laughs> way to dismantle things. You know, we have like, boom, I'm not the Tasmanian devil. We have, uh, you know, We've had a lot of research, a lot of development, and we've been able to safely do this without uh, blowing things up. Uh, so, 
and that's something too uh, that I'm, I'm most proud of, uh, the fact that we spent a, a lot of time in research and development and human-centered uh, design. Now, don't get me wrong, it wasn't, it was a hard push when you talk about accessibility to able-bodied people and you're combating ableism and different mindsets. And when you know that that's just a preset, preset and that you have the capacity to influence the change or transition into something greater, evolution, uh, where we are as a society, then you can present that as an option and it's well-received. But like I said, everyone's doing the best they can. Typically, when I present what we're doing, I don't necessarily ask for permission. I feel like this is a God-given uh, gift, that this is part of purpose and destiny. And a lot of times when we come in and I present, we don't have a difficult time with people understanding, hey, I don't want my loved one's body wrapped around the axle of the vehicle because oh someone gosh. didn't see them. I want my son and my daughter, who's a wildestrian, to be able to go to college. I want them to be able to meet up with their friends for coffee or for dinner. I want our veterans who have fought for our country and have put their lives on the line and who have returned home to be able to pursue a life with their families in a safe way. We want them acknowledged. We want them protected. We want them to take up space in this world that we all share. We're all in this together. I want to personally thank you because I'm a wheelchair user and um, thanks to your trademark wording around wheeldestrian, because if you think about it, pedestrian means feet, right? And so in your genius, you created this word that speaks volumes. And for all of what you're doing, I want to personally thank you for myself and the many who will never know the work, the effort, and the passion that you've put behind something that should have traumatized you and left you in that space, but instead catapulted you into a stratosphere that has not even been looked at in, you know, a century, if you will. So um, I, I just want to thank you and I want you to hear my sincere gratitude for the work that you're doing, because as a woman of color doing it in this day and time and in that industry, I know it cannot be easy, but you have my prayers, you have my support, and you have my gratitude. So um, I will need to take a break here for just a moment. And we're going to move into a Her Voice segment, during which time I believe you can take a few minutes if you need to collect yourself, Dr. Dowdell, so that you can make this incredible trip on the other side of the world. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for engaging. I know you got to take a break, um, but we really appreciate this opportunity. And Ethan, I commend you as well on the outstanding work that you're doing and you, you as well, Dr. Pegues. Thank you. We're going to deep dive into what Ethan does shortly. But yes, let's take a moment for this break. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. 
Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. Okay, yeah, I'm going to have to uh, wrap up. And you guys, excuse me, I would like to be fabulous like you, with the, but I didn't have time to put on... <laughs> No one's going to see me. (laughs) No one's going to see me. We'll have a safe flight, and I look forward to reconnecting when you return. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you for the work that you do. So, um, Ethan, I want to just focus on you for a little bit so we can talk about what you do, and I'll segment into carpooling. So talk a little bit about um, Mobility Works, and I'm going to transition in as well. Is that okay? All right. And we're back. I am still like flabbergasted by Dr. Dowdell's contribution to the world. Um, and again, there will be more information in the Black Family Magazine issue coming out for the first time with a disability focus October the 20th. I don't want to make this about me, but that is also my birthday. And the other thing. Ethan, I don't know if you knew this, but it's uh, Hispanic. uh, All right. Cut here. What is it again? What is it called? Hispanic Heritage. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if you knew this, Ethan, but it's Hispanic Heritage Month. And your wife is of Hispanic descent, and I am also of Hispanic descent. So uh, both of my parents are immigrants. My mother's Dominican. My father is Haitian. So this acknowledgement means a lot to me as much as it does, I'm sure, to your family. So I don't know if you knew that we had that in common. But with that said, I'd love, love to transition into what you're doing with your family that has been making a pretty big um, wave in the community of faith. Can you tell me about that? Well, I I, uh, I want to start by saying I did not know you were of Hispanic <laughs> descent, so could have had me fooled, but, uh, you know, yes, that is good. I, uh, no, that's awesome. And, yes, my, my wife is of Hispanic descent, and, uh, you know, it's it's awesome to just learn more about the culture as well. And I've had the honor to uh, our um, oldest daughter, she just turned 15. So she had a, uh, a quinceanera. Yeah. 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 So uh, nice. we, we, we traveled to uh, Mexico previously to celebrate that. Uh, my mother-in-law put it all together. So it was, nice. uh, it was an amazing experience. Um, and uh, she, she's actually my, my stepdaughter, but she asked me to uh, take part in the father-daughter dance. And it, tears, it, man, tears. it just blew my mind. I'm not going to get into tears. that because I'm going to start crying. Not good right now. So it's a, uh, But I love that you're also in a marriage together and in business together. Yes. Do you mind if we bring that up? Oh, yes. Uh, about uh, almost three months ago, we started a faith-based clothing brand called Carpool Lane with Jesus. And tell me about how you came up with that name and, you know, what you offer. So it's uh, it's kind of mine and our testimony wrapped up in it um, while also spreading the word of God to whoever comes into a counter with the brand. Uh, it started off, actually, uh, I, I run a small group Bible study for men and 
just a conversation after Bible study one night, someone was asking me about my testimony. And uh, I shared with them that going through a challenging part of my life before meeting my wife, uh, I drove a lot for work and I would still commute, you know, hour here, hour there for work while still going through these things. And to, to go through those seasons of life of not having a lot of hope, not knowing where things would lead, you know, holding on to that little mustard seed of faith. Um, I would still listen to, to, to preachings and teachings and I would, I would, I would fight to get prayer in on the road. And out of that, something stirred up in me and lo and behold led to this conversation. And he, uh, he made a comment too bad. You couldn't, you know, jump in the carpool lane and all this driving that you did. And I, I thought, I said, huh? Yeah. I said, yeah, you know, too bad. I couldn't. I went home that night and as I was driving, something just, just came, something rose up in me and, and the name just all blended together, carpool lane with Jesus. And it, it really, it, it just so well blends the testimony all together. And we now have a website. We offer many different, uh, you know, different apparels and items and every item has, uh, whether it's a different design, a uh, different logo on it. And every item has a uh, Bible scripture on the back. Um, and each scripture was specifically chosen that I received during prayer or during a teaching message. I felt God tell me, use that one, use that one, use that one. So every, every design has a title. Uh, it's, it's made for a reason. And the reason is incredible. If nothing else... I feel like this blessing that was shared with you and that proliferated through your entire family is now something you're sharing with others. And this is so important this month because work looks different for everyone. And so I know this clothing line and apparel may not feel like work, but it is a way that you work through and with your faith. And I do feel like you know, spiritual intelligence, just like emotional intelligence and some of the other things that have been uh, included in the workplace is starting to get a lot of attention. Post-COVID, our faith was something that so many people needed to hold on to because of depression, because of, you know, being in a world that was changing everywhere, because of the isolation. It was one of the first times in history that the workplace even allowed that type of connection. Because what do they say? You can't talk about what two things at work. Religion. Religion. Politics. And politics. But ironically, you know, that transition kind of blended with our reentry into the workplace. So even though emotional intelligence has always been there, uh, executive function has always been there, the fact that spiritual intelligence was added even without planning and allowing people to go into prayer rooms and to have Bible study in the workplace was something that I don't believe has ever happened in history. So to hear that you have taken this to the next level, and I've seen pictures of you and your wife with the apparel and your beautiful children, I am just so excited that you were brave enough 
to be able to not just do this, but to share it with the world. And I know there's a little intersection there between your clothing line, your experience at Mobility Works, and who you are as a man of faith. Do you mind taking just a minute to help us tie that all together, Ethan? Yes. Well, uh, so my my journey with Mobility Works, I've been here almost seven years now, and I've been through many transitions in the company uh, where I grew up and you know, my my early childhood, I, I didn't see in the future that I would be in management. I didn't see that I would have my name on something as a business owner. And to see those things, it just sends off so many lights in my brain, just that it was possible that it could happen. And I meet different people through work and just everyday life that see what I'm doing. And I have nothing but to say that it's all by the grace of God, because as you were mentioning those things about COVID and the challenges that people faced, I also faced those challenges. And to see how by faith I was able to be carried through that into where I am now, to where this brand was released with my wife, co-owners in the business, our children see what we're doing. I'm like, man, you just don't get me started. So it, uh, it, uh, it, it's just amazing to see, you know, going through life and and even through decisions that we make or that we're faced with, I've lost a lot and given a lot away, even by poor decisions. But to see how the grace of God works and He'll carry you out of something and turn it something turn it into a message you know that, oh that that's what it is the brand is a message that there is hope you just have to keep pushing forward you can't stop and even talking to someone like you you know that the message is similar no matter what you face still push forward carry through so our first our first quote short conversation got really long and I am so grateful to wear your message on your apparel that represents your faith and the bridge between some of the hard times. And I believe everything you do from here forward becomes a ministry. And I'm really, really excited about that. And, you know, for this Her Voice segment, you know, amplifying women making moves I think I heard someone in your conversation, maybe your wife, of course your wife, but if there's anyone else you'd like to bring up, I'd love to hear more about it, even if that person is your wife. Uh, yes, it is. It is my wife. I, I do give honor to her because she is, aside from my children, she is my biggest supporter. She she holds my ladder like like no other. And I it, it really encourages me to, to, to move forward and keep pressing forward, regardless of what life throws our way. She's still saying, you know, behind me, she's in my ear, keep going, keep pushing. And it, it, it just opens up so many doors in your mental state, you know, the courage and everything. So with my faith matched up with her being there in the natural, pushing me along, um, it, it, it's just amazing. And she is also a, a small group leader in the church that we attend. So she has her women's Bible study. I hear her all the time 
ministering to these women that have came from broken pasts and that have been in abusive relationships, that have been in things that really should have taken them out, for lack of better words. And she's there to just pour out that that graceful spirit into them and give them hope that they can make it, that they can pull through, that there is a, a better day ahead. She's definitely making moves. And I, I think it's understated because she doesn't seem like someone who'll stand on a pedestal, but she will work in the background and lift other women up. So I'm really glad that you took the time to mention her today. And I think that blesses her, yourself, and everyone listening. So thank you so much for that. You know, likewise, if I have to think about a, a woman making moves, Dr. Dowdell, you know, um, for her to take a situation that she had to watch happen in front of her law firm and to take that to a whole other level. Because I think she told me once that uh, the original traffic light was created by a man of color and it has really not been changed very much for her to step in and do this now and to do it against all odds because she made it sound pretty easy but it's not. And she gave me permission to share that she also lives with an invisible disability. And those moments are chronic for her. But nevertheless, she still pushes through. She still raises her children. Uh, she still, you know, supports her husband, who's an attorney. And she still smiles and shows up on a trip out of the country to support uh, what we're doing here on Crazy and the King today in this takeover. And I, I just really want to encourage anyone listening to hear the full story. Uh, her, her email address actually, or her, her website, Dr. Dowdell's website address is Wildestrian, W-H-E-E-L-D-E-S-T-R-I-A-N dot Com. And as I mentioned, and I'll mention again, the Black Family Magazine is going to feature her and Ethan so that if additional information is required, we'll be able to access it there. Ethan, can you tell us how to reach you? Yes, our, uh, our website is https colon forward slash forward slash cplwj dot myspreadshop.com forward slash. And that has all of our, our uh, items on there, all the logos, designs, and, and everything there. And you're on social media, right? Yes. So are you using your name on all your social media platforms? So I, I have my name, Ethan Stone, on uh, LinkedIn and also Facebook. Uh, my, my Instagram actually has the, uh, the acronym of the business name. So it's CPLWJ underscore zero one one seven so you can find me on those social media platforms follow the page see what new designs come up and and see the mission take place i'm ready your designs are such high quality and um i, I really want to support what you're doing so that it's sustained uh, long enough that people can find out about it because I know that it's a lot of word of mouth right now and sharing your testimony, but I'm so grateful for that. But on the topic of social media, do you have a disability Twitter that you want to share with us? Yes. Yeah, so there was a, 
uh, a brief snippet by uh, hashtag disability youth that um, it spoke to me because growing up, I did not get many encounters or exposures to individuals with disabilities. Um, I was heavily into sports and, and, and things like that. So I did not uh, come into this until later in life when I came with Mobility Works. Uh, but I did see that in this snippet, it said that uh, youth with disabilities are two to three times more likely to be bullied than non-disabled peers. And a lot of people don't know, but previously I, I was a, a school teacher for preschool and school age children. So oh. yeah, my, my mom's actually a preschool teacher. So that's, I, I thought I was going to be a teacher, but you know, got it. You're teaching us some stuff. God had different plans for me, uh, but he does still have me teaching just in, in right. a different way, which is ironic. So, uh, but to this point, um, you know, a lot of media is focused in, in a lot of ways on uh, bullying happening, you know, through the cyber world physically at school. Uh, but a lot of the times it doesn't break down that how, how different individuals with disabilities, how that level of bullying can be increased and how it can affect in different ways. So that, uh, that snippet really, really uh, hit for me by a uh, hashtag disability youth. And it's also hashtag disability Twitter, I believe. And I, I am so sad about that because they say, you know, people who hurt, hurt. But when people who hurt others who are hurting, it really amplifies that situation. And it's so sad because, again, when you look at the statistics, one of every four people have a disability. So, like, there was three of us on here and two of us had a disability or a family member, someone you know and love, as you mentioned did not have very many interactions and I was innocently ignorant to disability and everything that came with it until I myself became disabled and so now it becomes my life work and so that's why I wanted to uh, you know present what you're doing and what Dr. Dowdell is doing because between the two of you you are making my life equitable and so I'm so glad you brought that up I don't know if people really think about that you know I have one as well this one's a doozy so um, at Stevie B-O-E-B-I I think that's Boby posted that a disabled Airbnb host is being sued by some guests because they had to be around a disabled person they rented a room in her house and are claiming damages to their mental health. If that in and of itself is not bullying behavior, then I don't know what is. So let me just clarify, as I am to understand it, the non-disabled guest feels like they were negatively impacted by a disabled guest. So I just had to take a, an emotional pause there because they have now gone to the next level to file suit so the Airbnb owner is just flabbergasted and it's getting a lot of attention online 
and it's just another example of ignorance not in a bad way but in a way that doesn't educate individuals about disability and that's what you're doing in your work that's what dr dowdell is doing in her work and as a navigation organization who speaks to corporate who speaks to schools who helps with policy it's something that we must do more of and so I think we're all educators if we take the patience to meet people where they are, have a conversation and understand why they feel the way they feel because there was no detail around why she felt that she was um, she was damaged somehow in her mental health. I mean, let's be honest, disability is not sexy, right? When you talk about the different understandings and the different levels of understanding around disability we can go all the way back to the 1940s these models of disability come from hey that disabled family member in the back room to now someone like me and people in my community who are water skiing and scuba diving and skydiving and playing hockey and golf that didn't happen maybe 40 50 years ago so that mindset hasn't made the shift to the human rights part of where we're living today. So, you know, I read this with a grain of salt because as appalling as it is, um, people who hurt, hurt. And so I, I, I'm happy that you brought that up, you know, and I just feel like um, this segment is so important. It's different, but it's also really important because it's an inside track on things that we may not have even thought about, but it's around us. It's our family, our parents, the person at the grocery store, our teachers. It is pretty vast. And again, only 15% of disabilities are seen. So 85% of the people who are living with cancer, who are living with depression, who are living with long COVID and some of the invisible disabilities you might not think about, like myself with a brain injury and cognitive delays, you may not look at me, especially on Zoom, and say, she's in a wheelchair or she's had a brain surgery until you can see that scar from the back of my head, you know, to the front where that surgery affected my cognitive dissonance. So we are not neurotypical. And even if we age into uh, a barrier, if we are blessed to live long enough, we will experience either temporary or permanent disability. So as we move forward, uh, for National Disability Employment Awareness Month, which is also October, which is Cancer Awareness Month. I think it's important for the listeners and the readers of the Black Family Magazine and each of us individually to continue to share this message. And I'm ready to take us home, but I don't want to do that without getting some final words from you, Ethan. I just have to say this was a complete awesome experience it was uh, i was honored to be a part of it and if i must say we took over i, I just have to say we took over that this, part this we, we took it over we nailed it i think this was an important conversation that needed to happen um, and if i think back to when i was not involved in the uh, in this industry or uh, working to assist people with individuals with disabilities it uh this conversation is key and there's so much wrapped up into it that i think will speak loudly to whoever listens to it 
that uh, between our three stories, there is hope and new things are to come. Thank you. I was thinking the same thing. I think Julian Torn would be proud that we were able to take over the first Crazy of the King podcast and do pretty good. I really do think we did. And, you know, to close out, I just want to say that in addition to being the right thing to do, in addition to it being a human and civil rights issue, disability is also an eight trillion with a T dollar industry. So we don't just create innovation, we buy it. So if you are not, uh, you know, in a place where you get it, you need to get it. We'd never admit it, but deep down, we all get at least some pleasure from bad things happening to somebody we don't like. History's full of stories about bitter enemies being mutually horrible. Usually nothing good comes of it. But sometimes, sometimes, you get soul singers James Brown and Joe Tex, or 17th century nun Sor Juana, and the entire Catholic Church duking it out and dramatically changing our world. On Beef with Bridget Todd, we tell the stories of those petty feuds behind some of the greatest art, innovation, and global events. Listen to Beef wherever you get your podcasts.